Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge podcast. This is a Carolina Academic Press production where we discuss everything law school. The Law School Lounge is a place for students and faculty alike to discuss law school and the law. We hope you'll hang out with us for a while. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Law School Lounge. You're in for a really wonderful episode this week where I have not one, not two, but three guests. We have Bethany Carr, Sarah Covington, and Jessica Carmichael, the co-authors of Digitally Remastered Modern Law School. All three of these women are incredibly bright, and they share in this episode a lot of their experiences as being online JD students. Now, two of these authors are still in the JD program at the University of Dayton, and they're getting ready to graduate in the pretty near future. The third co-author, Sarah Covington, only recently graduated and is very excited to announce that she passed the bar exam and is currently working and out in the professional world as a legal professional. And so overall, in this episode, we explore the exciting parts of online JD programs. We also talk about about the flexibility and all of the pros of those programs. We do also touch upon some of the more difficult areas of being an online student and how to tackle those concerns. This episode is really great for any student who's in an online JD program or who is considering an online JD program. Also, faculty out there would do great to listen to this episode, as it not only provides information about a student's perspective in an online world, but it's a very candid expression of a law student's perspective and experience with lots of tips about how faculty may be able to be more engaged or otherwise present in a classroom in law school, particularly if that classroom is online. And as I mentioned, these three ladies are co-authors of a Carolina Academic Press book. Students who are online and students who are in part-time programs would really benefit from this book because it's so practical, it's extremely accessible, and it provides a lot of useful advice for students who may find themselves in a more non-traditional track while in law school. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoy the episode. So today I am here with Carolina Academic Press authors, Bethany Carr, Jessica Carmichael, and Sarah Covington. They write our book, Digitally Remastered, and it's all about modern law school. So they are or were, happy graduation, congratulations, (laughs) online law students at the University of Dayton School of Law. And so first off, I'd love for you all to talk about what it's like to be an online law student. As kind of pioneers in that regard, there aren't a whole lot of fully online JD programs. I think sharing your experience is really important. So if you could, please tell us a little bit about what it's like. Um, I'd say, because I'm sort of in the moving year at this point, having graduated and touched the bar on the other side, um, it, it's an experience that I always cherish having gotten to go through particularly because I got to meet the two ladies that are here with me and I have immense respect for them. Um, it's it's a lot, right? Law school is a lot and it was really hard, some aspects of it, particularly for me, the competition aspect. Um, but it's this beautiful time where you learn about things that are widely compelling and you know that you're building a foundation that you can then use in practice. You're surrounded by people um, who are smart, right? We were all really smart in undergrad. We're still smart in law school. Um, and so the, the conversations that occur um, because of that level of understanding were really 
intriguing and interesting. In other words, you're not going to sit in class bored um, because the material is always something that you're going to have to work towards to really understand the nuances of. So overall, I would say it's a really great experience. And if I could, I think one point you brought out there was just that just because you're online or maybe looking at a different set of school design or curricula design, it doesn't mean that the heart of what law school is, is not there, right? There's still that rigor in the curricula. There's still difficult concepts to learn. I mean, you're still doing all of the same things and you're just doing it through a different vehicle, right? And I think, you know, especially post-pandemic, if people had maybe a less than wonderful experience with online learning during that time, there is sort of a bias against online education. And so just to hear that all of those things are maintained and that you still earn those practical experiences, that's really important. And I think that's really great. I think one of the things that we kind of have to understand with those that might have had a poor experience because of COVID Everyone in our program chose to be in a hybrid online program. It's not something that we were sort of haphazardly forced into, right? The structure actually was already in place for us to be online. Um, so some of those things that students probably experienced as a result of their professors not really understanding how to administer these courses online or use the technology, our program is structured for that reason. And the students there came for that reason. And so I think it put a different dynamic for us than those that were sort of in the boat of being forced into it sort of unexpectedly. And I think it's easy enough to kind of draw that comparison to faculty as well, right? You know, most of the faculty who are teaching in an online program got into it knowing they were teaching in an online program versus being told, hey, you're you're teaching online now. Here's this thing uh, called a learning management system and go get them. Uh, so the experience should be much more fuller in that regard as well. And that's something I always talk about with professors who are coming online into an online program, just kind of the differences there. So thanks for bringing that up. That's a really great point. And Jessica and Bethany, what would you like to share about being an online law student? I personally think you need to really recognize that when you're looking at online law school, there's a lot of different reasons that people are going to pick it, and it's going to change how they go into the experience. Uh, like you were saying about during the pandemic, everybody was forced into it. That really isn't the case for us. I'm in an area where we don't have law schools. My nearest one's eight hours away. So it changes the dynamic when you have students who are going, this is how I have an option to do law school. So you've got people who want to do it, who are taking steps outside of what are the norm to do it. And often you're working with a lot of people who maybe have already had a career have a little bit more life experience. So it changes the dynamics and it really opens up and broadens a lot of the conversations that we have in class because we have been able to, when we have a case about farming, we have a student who has a background in farming. When we have criminal cases, we have students who have background as a law enforcement agent. And it's really great to be able to bring in more real world experience. And that's something that from what teachers have indicated to us anyway, they don't always get in a traditional classroom. So we actually get to see a little bit more of an application aspect earlier on than maybe a traditional law school student does. And it's really awesome though, to be able to bring in students who don't have options to do law school because there's a certain drive there that we want to achieve, we want to do it. And it can also help take out a little bit of the competitive aspect, not all of it, because what's happening is we're not competing with each other because we're not taking the same bar exam. We're not going to be working with the same clients. So we can just build a network to help and support each other without having to worry about, well, is this the person that, you know, might beat me out by a few points in the bar exam or who might take my client? in a few years down the road. 
Wow, Jessica, you covered a lot there. <laughs> Lots of great things to talk about. So you started off with talking about access, right? Especially with the cost of law school today. You know, there's a lot of conversation around who has access, whether access is really something that's open to everyone, right? Whether everyone has access. You also talked about diversity, right? Diversity of experience, diversity of perspective, right? And I think there's a really interesting movement within law schools to acknowledge that maybe the people who were going to law school at some point didn't share the lived experience and perspective of the people they were commonly representing, right? And so non, what we would consider, I guess, non-traditional programs offer a lot of avenues to make that problem, that issue, decrease in a lot of ways. And that's a great example that you gave of just people coming from different backgrounds and being able to share different experiences, whether personal or professional, right, in the classroom. And then the last thing you touched upon was kind of this competitive nature of law school, right? I think, sadly, <laughs> maybe better or worse, depending on who you ask, the competitive nature of law school is just kind of there. It's just part of it. And I've actually talked to some people on this podcast, and we've talked about how institutionally that competitiveness is not only part of the institution, but often encouraged to some degree, right, with things like rankings and requirements, depending on where you rank or access to things that you might not otherwise have access to, depending on your rank and so on and so forth. Um, so if you could, Jessica, just real quick, what does kind of those components of law school look like then, right? So if you're online, uh, how do things like law review or interviews or those types of things that you were kind of touching upon a little bit, uh, what does that look like? So our school has been really great making sure that we have the opportunity to integrate into anything, whether it's just regular student organizations like SBA or your woman in law. Uh, so Sarah actually was on Law Review and it was basically the exact same process that the residential students would go through in terms of it was you grade on or you have to compete and write on. You know, all of those aspects are very much the same. It's just really the format that everything's being delivered in. And as far as the competition, yeah, it's still there to a degree. But you also, unless you're looking for those specific avenues, the overall general competitiveness, I feel like, is probably a little bit less because like I said, you don't have to worry quite as much about those after college experiences in the professional world. How is this going to matter? That's great. Thank you, Jessica. No, that's, that's super helpful. And Bethany, what would you like to tell our listeners about the online law student experience? Absolutely. So I am someone who entering into law school, my big hard line was that I have to remain working full time. And so when I was looking for programs, online just made sense for what I wanted to do. And so when I'm thinking about all these different perks of I get to decide what the comfort of how I attend classes. So yes, professional on top, maybe there's some pajama bottoms on the bottom, because we're in these squares, but also defining what are the seats I want to sit in? How do I want my area set up? Thinking also about limiting distractions, not worrying about what's going on around me. If I'm sick, I can still attend um, without <laughs> hurting anybody else around me. And also thinking about that travel time, which is a huge piece for me of not having to worry about racing from that five o'clock end of the workday to get an hour away to school or more, um, finding a parking spot, making sure I have my books with me. Is, everything is already set up and ready to go. And so it's made it a lot easier for me to balance my professional career as well as this educational side of things as well. And I, I know that in your book, y'all talk a lot about sort of those life things, right? Like how do I, because I know that y'all have different life circumstances, all of which are, you know, connected to your personal lives. But I think that's one thing. It's a question I get a lot as someone who works from home, you know, how do you turn off work or how do you balance 
your personal space and your workspace and uh, also concerns about, you know, people being around or pets and children and like all like how do you find quiet space to do the things you need to do or to have meetings or all that kind of stuff so if you could who wants to share some advice on those kinds of points with our listeners I'll start this one with a fun little story so I travel a lot for work and this past summer semester actually the day before I'm supposed to travel home uh, and take a final my flight was canceled overnight And so my immediate thought was, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I'm almost done with this program. It's been almost four years, but that was still my anxiety coming through. But then I remembered I have my laptop. I have all my logins. It's going to be okay. And so I think that's what's been really nice is knowing that you kind of have that autonomy to build what works for you. And so for me, it was okay to take it in a hotel room, but for others, maybe it's that making that space in your home. So do you have an office, you have an outdoor space with Wi-Fi access, or even if you're just reading your book, maybe you have a cozy little corner in a bedroom somewhere that way that you have your spaces that, you know, your brain to turn on to do it. And if you can't, like I said, for the work trips, you have the opportunity to still participate and still do law school, even if you are on the run. Great suggestions. Great suggestions. And Sarah, Jessica, do you have anything to add in that regards? I know that you both also have different sort of circumstances surrounding your online education time. As far as things like pets or children coming in during class or study groups or office hours, it is surprisingly common. And I have never seen a professor get angry about that. Um, They realize we're humans, and I think it actually has helped some of them who also have children to realize, okay, there's things that are going to be outside of my control. And yeah, sometimes my kids really do need to come first. They need to figure out why they're screaming a room over because we've had professors stop to go check out what's going on because there's way too much noise from their children, you know, (laughs) and that aspect and reality is, I think, really important to realize that hey, this does happen. We know that that's a very real possibility. And it's something that I think now that we have become a much more digital world in the sense that post-COVID, you do have meetings on Zoom. You have court on Zoom. People need to be aware and understand that that's happening. And you've seen a lot of grace in those areas. And like Bethany said, I've been able to do my class from anywhere. I've been able to still take vacations with my family. I have still been able to go do whatever I needed to do. And when I had the internet go down half an hour before a final, I was able to pick up my material, go to another location that had internet and just take it from there. So The online learning allows us a lot more flexibility to really have the life that we want to still do everything at least a little bit. Yeah, during vacations, you might have to miss out for a few hours while you take your class or you do some studying, but you don't miss out on the entire experience. It's much smaller sections. Whereas if I was in a traditional classroom, it would be, well, I guess you guys are going on vacation completely without me. So you still are allowed and able to build connections and keep connections that the traditional law school experience wouldn't let you have. Yeah, I think pretty much, I'd say across the board, proponents of online learning, work from home schedules are all about the flexibility and the fact that it enables the work-life balance. Um, You know, I think you touched upon the commute component, Bethany. You know, once I stopped commuting, I was like, oh my gosh, I have so like two, three extra hours a day. I mean, that's just so much time. And the gas money. Yeah, right? Like it, it really adds up. You don't realize it until you're not doing it anymore though. But yeah, it's it's all fair points. The flexibility, all of that stuff, those are great things about online learning. And Sarah, anything that you want to share about this? 
Yeah, so much along the same lines as what Jessica and Bethany has shared, I actually always intentionally tried to schedule our family trips during the semester, which in a residential program I couldn't have done. I tried to schedule them early. So normally we would do like, you know, the second or third week because that's before everything really gets like going. Um, for me, I ended up scheduling a lot of like the dentist appointments and doctor's appointments and all of that life stuff during my semester breaks. And so being able to vacation actually during the semester really helped with that balance. And then it gave my kiddos some downtime when they needed it. Um, so I would just go hop onto class while they were, you know, relaxing after whatever activity that we did. So it actually worked out really well for us. I know it's kind of probably something where people would be like, what, <laughs> you're intentionally vacationing during the semesters? Um, but yeah, I, you know, especially early on in the semester, I think it's kind of a great time. Also for me, I have at least three different workstations in my home that are set up because I don't really necessarily do well sitting in the same little like two square foot area like my entire day um, because I also work remotely and also then attended law school remotely. Um, so I like migrating throughout the day. I have like different little areas that I work from, um, but I also worked from a pool. So when I was studying for the bar, I took my kids to the pool and we studied from there because all of my materials were accessible. Um, and I'd gotten used to studying from the pool years prior when as a law student, uh, I wanted to still make sure my kids had a fun summer. Um, so all of my materials were accessible. I was able to study from there. And then I continued that even with studying for the bar. Very, very cool. Well, all of you at some point have kind of mentioned, obviously, your friendship <laughs> and then the sort of connections or relationships you've built with professors. And one thing that I've talked a lot about with our authors and other episodes is this idea that you really need to find your people right? Because law school is rough and you need to have other people to commiserate with when it gets that way or some sort of mentor to speak with when you might need a little advice or just a little support in the right direction. And so if you first wouldn't mind sharing, how did you all become friends? Like, how did you form this little group here? I'm going to jump in because this is my one of my favorite stories. <laughs> Uh, if you look at our last names, they all have the letter C. Uh, we were in a course where our teacher did an alpha split. And so we had the opportunity to get to know each other just because of our last names all having this letter, uh, which is amazing because I don't know how I would have gotten law school through law school without these ladies. That's wonderful. That's so cute. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because unless you pointed it out, I didn't, I didn't realize that all of your last names began with a C. Um, but that's so funny how that stuff happens. And so you guys have been together and in this program and in study groups and work groups and everything since the very beginning. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've all been together for the last three years, well, a little over three years now, uh, doing all the whole law school experience. And because originally they had broken everybody up, broken everybody into two sections based on the alphabet, then from there would do our groups based on last name. It just, you know, kept putting us together. And then beyond just those forced interactions, it's really about going and taking the time to reach out to two people. You know, when you, you get a little bit of a hint at the beginning of your 1L year about everybody, because all the professors want a little introduction, a little bit about you. So you give out maybe a little bit about your career or where you live or your family. And when you see something that, hey, that either piques my interest or, hey, I think we have that in common. That's a great starting point to send an email and say, hey, whereabouts do you live in the state? I'm located here because we live in the same state. Or, hey, I have the same career. Let's talk about this. And it kind of gives you a starting point. And the same thing is true with professors where you can reach out to them about their personal interests or really with a question they want you to reach out. They don't want you to just be like, I don't know. And they don't have the opportunity really to reach out 
to us the same way because it's not like they can walk into the library or, you know, a good old cafeteria area and be like, hey, you're in my class. How's it going? They don't have that same freedom to do that. So they appreciate when you reach out to them or go join them in their office hours because they want to build that connection and make sure you're getting what you need from the class and from them. And being somebody who's always afraid of asking questions or reaching out, that's kind of a hard thing for me to get over, but it really does help when you realize that people do want to help you. They want to make this a good experience. They want to help you learn. So if you make those first steps, you build connections with people that will help you throughout your law school experience and even into your actual career. Yes, excellent advice. I mean, all of y'all are basically transitioning into your, or partway newly into your careers and we're all still here and y'all are still friends and I'm sure you will continue to be friends and supporting one another. And that's wonderful. I mean, that's, I think something that, you kind of can get lost in the shuffle when things are really difficult in law school or feel really stressful. That sort of concept that people are rooting for you to succeed, whether they're your friends, your professors, right? And so that those are really great points. I appreciate that. And let's talk, if you don't mind, a little bit more about how you got to know professors, right? Because you, you mentioned office hours. Obviously, office hours are a really big thing. And uh, I always do the online Zoom office hours where I just set up a room and my students can come in and out. I will say that sometimes I find that to be really successful and other times I really struggle uh, to get people to come. And it's easy to chalk that up to being, well, it's because it's online and like nobody feels that it's worth doing that or whatever the case may be. Whereas you know, that face-to-face interaction when somebody drops into your office. But I think it has to do with a lot more than that. I think it has to do with students' schedules and what they have going on, when your office hours are. I think it also has to do with how open certain students are compared to others. I have found that my students who are hybrid tend to be less able to do the online office hours, whereas my fully online students are super engaged in office hours. And I think that goes back to something that you said previously, that those students signed up to be online. Those students are actively using the avenues available to them to their advantage, right? They're like, this is office hours online makes sense. Everything else I'm doing is online. I might as well drop in and talk to my professor, right? Um, And so I always tell professors who I'm getting ready for their courses, I say, if nobody shows up the first week, like, don't be discouraged. Don't like want to cancel the next week. They will start showing up, but you have to show up first. Um, And so I'm glad to hear that you had, it sounds like you had a good experience with online office hours with professors. Is that fair to say? I know I did. um, Early on, most of our professors tried to have those drop-in office hours. They picked a time and for professors who are listening sometimes doing those weekend office hours when you have online students can actually really be helpful Um, oh great tip you know it's not something you would think about if you're used to doing monday through friday but for a lot of us when there's jobs involved monday through fridays didn't work and we had professors early on who were very willing to do Sundays. Uh, One of them did it Sundays, like, well, their spouse was watching football. That allowed them the opportunity to be online at a time that more of us were available because even the people who liked football are willing to miss a little bit of football time where they can't just miss a little bit of work time. And then the other option is always that professors are very willing to make office hours that fit your schedule. And as we've moved on to the later stages where we don't have as many questions as we did in those early 1L years, I think that's actually probably worked out a little bit better because everybody can be like, okay, I've got a couple questions, meet with the professor as they need to, and it saves the professor time 
and allows us to get right to what we want without sitting through a bunch of questions that either we maybe know or are outside of where we personally are trying to focus at that point in where we're at learning. No, that's, it's interesting that you brought up weekends. I have currently, so I have a online class, but we do Zoom sessions every month, right? Like live class sessions and they're voluntary. You, you don't have to show up, but I'm running into this problem where they have synchronous classes and they all have synchronous, they work all day and then they all have synchronous classes at different nights of the week. And I'm like, I don't know when to, cause I also, I will say as a professor, I feel bad offering on the weekends because I'm like, you should be able to have your weekend for yourself. I don't want you to feel, I think because mine is not office hours, it's more of a class time. So I feel that they will feel more obligated to go versus it being truly voluntary. Um, But I could see the benefit to that, but it is, it's true. It's a scheduling thing. A lot of the times you have you know, students who are working all day during the day and then the classes that they attend are at night. So there's really zero time uh, to set office hours. So yeah, the appointments, I always do those. I think that's a great point to like talk to your professors. They want to hear from you. And what else do you feel makes online law school different from a traditional or residential program in terms of maybe how many courses you take a semester or sort of what does that kind of component look like? So for our program, it's very structured in terms of we are pretty much given our exact schedule for all three and a half, four years um, because we're pretty much in a cohort model, which is just our group of folks taking the same exact classes the entire way through Uh, with a couple of exceptions where you might get to choose or based on your GPA, you might be told uh, what your choice is. And so it's been really helpful in terms of not having to worry about decision fatigue, but we hear so much about in this digital world right now. But at the same time, it also kind of pushes you, you get an experience in many different facets of law. So rather than I'm going to focus really heavily into one area, you're doing a bunch of dabbling and really hitting all of those bar subjects the entire time that you're going through the program, which is helpful. Uh, So I hear as Sarah passed the bar recently, so I am looking forward to it. No, that's great. That's great. I think it sounds like to me that there's a lot of similarities between online programs and part-time programs. It's just that one is online and one is more residential. Is that correct? Does that sound right to y'all? Yes, it is. Yeah, really, it is the same. And some schools do offer a model where you have a little bit more flexibility with picking classes, especially if they have more of a concentrated program, as in they're specifically focusing on intellectual property or healthcare law. Then there's a little bit more flexibility. And the size of your program, I think, also kind of lends to that. We were very early on in the process for University of Dayton, so the cohorts were a lot smaller. It was more experimental, and law school now is becoming a lot more online, so what you're seeing is the opportunity for the schools to start branching out and saying, well, let's offer several different courses. So you're seeing that flexibility. And I suspect University of Dayton, as time goes on and as the program expands, we'll start doing that more where some of those more elective courses will have more options than just this is what it's going to be. But I think being so early on in the creation of online law school, schools are starting with what's manageable to make sure that they're getting the curriculum that the students need. And they are giving us exactly the curriculum that we need and making sure we're covering those topics that are going to be on the bar to make sure we have the best ability to pass. And I personally really appreciate the fact that we do have such a broad background in all of those bar tested areas. So that kind of leads me to the next question, right? So how did you, like, I guess, how how diverse were the students in your programs or your cohorts as far as where they were located? And 
how easy was it to find overlap between the bar tested areas? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Because most of the time, so like I went to school in Louisiana, which Louisiana has its own weird bar exam. Um, but they split us up. So half of us were in the civil law track, Louisiana, the other half were common law. And if you were in common law, you could have been from anywhere and taking the bar in any of the 50 states and they did their best to accommodate what overlapped the most. Um, obviously with the MBE and all of those component parts that makes that a lot easier. Um, but you know, any thoughts on kind of how they're able to accommodate more easily in an online setting for those types of differences? Yeah, so I think in general, most law schools, I know Louisiana is a little different. I've heard that from friends too that went to law school there. And it's, it's so, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like its own planet <laughs> so it's own, own thing. Um, but I think most law schools are, are pretty well structured around the UBE style bar. Um, here in South Dakota, actually, though, Jessica and I, what I took and what Jessica will be taking is not a UBE style bar. And we actually had a professor out of the kindness of his heart that was willing to do a directed reading for us and help cover the material. Oh, I know. That's right? so cool. That's great. Yeah. So he uh, spent that that time that semester with us, uh, actually spring semester weekly to go through the material that we would need uh, for our state specifics, which I think was really powerful for me because um, just getting that through a, a bar vendor, I would not have done as well. I know for sure on that section um, because I was drawing as I was sitting there taking the bar from things he covered in our class and not from my vendor materials. Um, but I also wanted to touch on, you know, we're all in different time zones as well. And I think sometimes that doesn't really end up in the conversation, um, which when we're scheduling office hours, sometimes it's like scheduling roulette for us if teachers don't put the time zone, because sometimes programs will adjust for you and sometimes they don't, just depending on what scheduling tool they may be using. So there's been times where Jessica and I, being in a different time zone, we were like, well, we're available at both of these times and we have no idea which time zone the scheduling tool is using. So we'll just see what hits our calendar, um, <laughs> which self-scheduling is great for students that have a lot going on with work in different time zones in class, um, but that would be like one of those caveats. It's important to know if you're providing a scheduling tool, which time zone it's coming across in. Um, and I was also going to mention as well, uh, Bethany, you brought up that, hey, we kind of start in the same cohort and we continue together. And I think that's one of the powerful differences that we have between us and a, a residential program because we've been in class together the entire time. Right, we're elbow to elbow learning together, uh, Zoom elbow to elbow style. Right, um, it's not like we're rotating. elbows. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's not like we're rotating through when we have a bunch of different people that we're connecting with. Um, so I think it really helps us foster and develop these deep connections because we just have this continual connecting point. And then one For other thing. Oh, sorry. Oh, wait, sorry. Before you move on, for yeah. context, just about how many people were in each cohort. Um, so I think it depends. Uh, I would say probably about 35, 25. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know it kind of, I was just kind 18. of asking like in you, in your experience, like when you had a cohort, like how many people were in your cohort? Those are my experiences. Okay. Okay. So it varies depending on like year and course or. It, and really? I think maturity of the program, right? So as the programs oh, mature, the cohorts tend to get a little bit bigger. I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I mean, that's, I mean, most of my big classes had, I don't know, 60 or 80 people in them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, much uh, to be fair though, I went to law school. I started law school in 2010, which was like that law school boom. Um, I think I had 260 people in my one all class. Um, yeah, it was, it was big. Um, but that's not what the general class sizes are right now, but no, just for context. Okay. And then what was your next point, please? Oh, yeah. So, um, what I was going to mention too, I think our university has sort of structured the approach to electives a little bit differently. Um, but it's one that I'm currently in the middle of appreciating because while we have a really structured program for the Juris Doctorate, we are enabled then thereafter to take an LLM for free. 
And through the LLM, we get to choose our electives. So it's almost like you re really get this great foundation for bar tested courses with a couple of sort of keystone electives along the way. And then thereafter, you get an opportunity to have another degree that's free where you get to really specialize. Well, and you don't even know it probably, but you walked me right into the next question I was going to ask you, <laughs> which is about externships, experiential learning, internships, right? So one of the benefits usually touted of a residential program, especially if you're going to stay in the area of where that residential program is located, is we have connections, we can get you in at the local PD's office, DA's office, we could do all these things for you. Um, you know, we have programs that regularly do X, Y, and Z. What did sort of experiential learning components look like in an online program setting and what were your experiences? So I'll start us off um, because I am local to the school as well, about an hour away. And so I was able to meet with our career services office, albeit online, even though I'm, I'm close by. And that was really what started me in finding my first in-person type of experience just on my own, not for credit. I uh, was able to connect with someone locally in my passion area. But from there, um, as my career continued to take off and needed more uh, flexible opportunities that weren't necessarily in person about an hour away, I was able to use my network through LinkedIn and found a, a couple different options uh, that allowed me to do fully remote, fully in my own schedule while still getting great mentorship opportunities. I worked with a, a Cleveland area lawyer for uh, two years to help write a supplement textbook, uh, which was really cool. Uh, and again, being able to develop my own schedule and work it between classes and work and all this other other stuff going on. So it was really helpful and the opportunities exist out there, which is great. Well, I know you said that you ended up working remotely in a lot of those positions, which one thing I did want to make sure we mentioned is that as things have gone more online, including in courtrooms and other legal professional realms, I'd imagine that you alls skill set transfers really nicely into working in those settings. Uh, and so that's like an added benefit, right? You're having more practical skills that other people might have to learn on the job that you've already learned and mastered, right? And what about Sarah or Jessica? What were your externship, internship sort of experiences? How did that pan out for y'all? So for me, I did do one remote extern, well, internship, but I did a more traditional externship where I was working with a firm, Gokul to me. And yes, you don't have the same support and well here's a connection let's get you started from the school because they don't necessarily have that everywhere although they will look to see if there are people in your area that you can connect with but even without that you can go knock on doors uh, you can go in and see people send them an email You'll you'll get no, you will get some notes, but you will also get the opportunity to talk to a lot of people. And you spend some time explaining the hybrid program. And what's interesting is I think a lot of the people that I had talked to were very intrigued by these online programs because it's something that's outside of the realm of what they know, but they could also see the value, either how it would translate into skills in the future as we're going more digital, or how could we apply this to the legal community in our area? Because our state doesn't have an online law school, but hey, maybe we should be thinking about that because we are a very large state that's also very rural. So maybe this would be helpful. Maybe it could be helpful for things like CLEs. And you could kind of see the wheels turning of how can we work together to improve some of these things overall and I think it starts a good conversation and look toward the future and they're very willing to work with a online law student the same as they are with a traditional law student you just might have to go through a little bit of explanation and I suspect that there'll be less and less of that now that you're seeing more and more online law schools. And to be fair, most of the process you just described 
uh, is what you do when you find a job, right? <laughs> so like, you know, these are not, these are things you're going to have to probably do at some point anyway. I mean, so it's not necessarily uh, by any means a bad thing to be knocking on doors, sending out resumes, cover letters, all of that kind of good stuff. But I think it's really cool that the online program definitely gives you a talking point, right? Like something new and different to put on your resume right now, since there are less online law programs, but also just something to talk about because you're right. Most people don't necessarily know about them or haven't had a lot of engagement with them. And so it can give you something to break the ice, if you will, because sometimes interviewing is awkward. Um, it's not always the easiest thing for everyone to do. Uh, you know, you, not everybody, you might get somebody who's, it's their first interview, whether you're the interviewee or the interviewer. And <laughs> so just having something to kind of get the ball rolling in conversation is, is cool. And you made a lot of fair points about sort of getting recognition, right? Sort of getting it on people's radars that these programs exist, right? And Sarah, would you last but not least like to share any experiences related to externships and internships? Yes, I would. <laughs> Please do. Um, so our very first semester of 1L, when I was like stressed to the brink, trying to figure out how to make this work for my life without resources that really like provided this avenue. Um, our amazing professor had a student come in and they talked about interning and how important it was. And I was like, I cannot add another thing to my plate. Like, what is this? Like, no. Um, but I actually started interning the next semester and I'm so thankful I did. Uh, I actually think as a hybrid student, I ended up having a huge competitive advantage because there are no law schools in my area, which means the only time that local law firms are able to avail of student interns is during the summer. And I was available during spring semester. Um, I also was, you know, kind of smart about it. And I looked for a law firm that had an open associate position that had been posted for a while. Very smart. Pro tip there, guys. Uh, <laughs> and so I reached out and I was like, hey, I'm interested in this area of law. And he ended up offering me a job like on the spot, which was great. Um, yes, that's <laughs> kind of how I got started. Uh, and also I was able to do online uh, internships and I was able to leverage different time zones. So while I was doing my federal judicial internship uh, with an East Coast time zone, I was also working for a legal tech startup uh, on the West Coast. And I was able to do both because I was availing of different time zones and it worked with the timing of our classes. So to that end, I think actually I probably had more opportunities than I would have as a residential student because I wasn't sort of stuck in this like local pool where everybody is buying for the same things. I was in an environment where there's not a lot. And um, attorneys also really like to help people like a lot. So when they find out I'm from a rural area, they're like, yeah, let's do this online. Even if they've never done an online one before, like we'll make this work because we wanna make sure we're developing the next generation, uh, which I was just always so super grateful for, um, but definitely kind of an unexpected perk of being a hybrid student. That's awesome. No, I like that. I like that a lot. You know, you said that there's limitations where people come back and then they are only there for the summer and then they leave again, right? And I think it becomes really difficult when you're in that situation as somebody who was in that situation to leave again. What I mean by that is I went to law school in New Orleans and then I stayed there. Um, and continued to work there because all of my connections were there. I mean, I was a first-gen student, so I also didn't have that luxury of like going back to where I was from and like my family knew people, right? That was not an option for me. And so inherently, just by being in physically in a place, uh, you just make more connections, especially if a lot of people stay there. But also, most of the school I went to, Loyola's connections were local. If you were knew you were returning somewhere, obviously they did their best to get you where you need to go, contact alumni and, and so on. But for example, I made law review. When you made law review, you were put into a pool of applicants for summer internships and externships, and you met with local law firms. And so I ended up 
interning at two, I was a summer associate at two different law firms in New Orleans. And, you know, that's obviously where my connections were then, right? Um, and that's great that, I mean, I love New Orleans. I'm, it's a great place. But my point is that there is a serious lack of resources outside of those types of metropolitan areas in particular, not only for students who are able to go back to them, right? But also who students who are willing to go back to them because maybe their network isn't as strong by default in those places. And so I think it sounds like at least that online learning really allows for more growth in that type of area or more allowance of building those connections in around a local place. And there's also a lot of talk right now about the fact that rural communities are underserved, particularly when it comes to legal representation. And so expanding the ability of people to learn and then grow and build roots within those rural communities is really appealing for lots of different reasons. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about, and you guys can, if you could just give one thing that you want to say, we've kind of talked about the future of legal education based on what we've kind of talked about so far. So I'm not going to get too much into that. Uh, but I know y'all are very popular and have things soon. So we have to cut this off in a few minutes. <laughs> but what I wanted to ask is if you could give any piece of advice about anything, or any sort of you know, wisdom, if you will, to anyone who is in an online program or looking at an online program for law school, what would it be? I'm going to take the easy road here and I'm going to just say, read our book. Uh <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um, and, you know, th this book is really a labor of love for us. It's the resource that I wish I would have had my first semester of law school when I was homeschooling our daughter because of her health concerns and COVID and juggling, trying to figure out how to be an online law student and also working and the resources we had as well. Owls had really great suggestions like go have study group in the library and things like, hey, make sure you go to the events on campus. And I was like, that's awesome, but that doesn't work for my life. And there was this really great like sample study schedule. And I was like, that's also awesome, but that doesn't work for my life. And so I just really didn't have the resources that I needed to be able to transition smoothly into an online law program as a part-time law student, attending from a geographic diversity from campus situation. Um, and so I think our book provides a lot of those tools and resources, how, how to navigate this successfully, because we learned it, right? We stumbled through some things and what's in there is just my heart for you. Is that all? <laughs> no, that's so kind and so beautiful. I'm so glad that y'all put this into writing because whether it's online law school or we've talked about part-time programs as well. I think that your book would also be a good tool for people who are in part-time programs as some of the stuff or a good amount of the stuff overlaps like scheduling and, and all of those kinds of things. But, you know, law school's hard. And so things yeah. that make it easier are beautiful things. <laughs> well, and that's another part too, that we really approached this book with is that the materials we had were written by professors and professors generally went to really great law schools and did really well. And so there was sort of this feeling of ease as I was reading these materials and I was struggling with some, some parts of it. And I wanted to make sure as we were coming together that we actually divided up our chapters really intentionally so that it's something where one of us had a strength in that area and one of us struggled with it because we wanted it to be more of a well-rounded approach, right? Because there's a whole spectrum of students in law school, um, not just those that are likely going to be professors someday. No, the imposter syndrome is real uh, at a lot of different points. And the accessibility, the conciseness, the clarity with which you all wrote this book is, is admirable. You did a great job. And I, I, I want you to know that as somebody who's out of law school and won't necessarily be able to put it into practice, but who has read it and was able to see the value in it very clearly. And Bethany and Jessica, what advice, wisdom would you impart 
I will echo Sarah that reading the book is probably the best place to start, but I would also uh, hype on it's okay to have a different experience than other folks. If you're in an online program, you're already uh, taking those first steps to doing it and be okay with that. Uh, be okay chasing a, a lead that might be different than what other folks are chasing and what you're doing and how you're approaching your law school experience. Really and truly, there is no wrong way to law school except for cheating. We all know academic dishonesty. But besides that, make it your own experience and live confidently in what you do. Wow, that was beautiful. Y'all are great <laughs> with these pearls of wisdom. So no pressure, Jessica, but what do you have to offer? <laughs> I think personally, the biggest things are accept the fact that you do not have to be perfect. I don't think any of us ever got 100% on any exam. That doesn't stop you from getting good grades. You don't need perfection. You just need to do your best and make a support network of people. And that does not even necessarily have to be fellow law students. That could just be having a family member who realizes, hey, you're looking a little stressed. I think today we need to go to the spa or we need to go for a hike, whatever it is that de-stresses you, have somebody who is willing to say, you need to take a minute and go away from this and have a support system because it really does help you really maintain your ability to get through it. There's going to be moments where you have huge triumphs and there's going to be moments where you have incredible glows and you wouldn't expect to see quite that spectrum especially if it's not something you're used to and having people to support you is really incredibly helpful it can be other students it can be family or friend but it does help to have that oh great advice great advice and if i could just maybe build off a little bit i would say if you can make it happen, your support network should include people who are in and out of law school, if you can, mostly because when you're in law school, it's a huge echo chamber. Everybody's like saying the same things and everybody's like amping each other's stress levels up and da da da. And so sometimes just talking to outside perspectives, right? <laughs> or talking about things that are not law school related for a little bit of your day uh, can really help. And so having those people in your life who are not in that echo chamber can always be a bonus. But this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights here. And of course, in your book, Digitally Remastered, Modern Law School. It's so helpful. And I love just all of the templates and schedules that you have in there because it's so practical right? It's so practical when you just need something to use. So thank you again for joining me. Any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to add? Um, can I just add one component? Please do. And it's springboarding up with Jessica's. You know, we've talked a lot about us as, as the students, but I think one of the unique features as hybrids is that we are, a lot of us coming to this with family members, whether that's spouses, children, or parents that we're taking care of. And it's like a group effort, right? Having one of the members of your family in law school. And so just as much as we need a support system, I think it's kind of important to recognize that dynamic that they're also gonna need support. And because they're also gonna be pouring so much in to help you with your goals, that when you can unplug and take breaks, like really kind of balancing that out. So for example, like Jessica's husband and my husband, I think they kind of came, became a support system for each other inadvertently. <laughs> That's so sweet. Which is great. I think they talk about our grades more than like we do. They're like, is she okay? Yeah, we're good. Okay, great. <laughs> Which is just like, they're, they're hilarious and wonderful. Um, but I, I, I think that's a part of the conversation that sometimes isn't included because a lot of our materials are kind of just focused on the law student. And that's also one of the things we really tried to bring up in the book is that, you know, it, it's your entire life is affected by this. It's not just something where you show up to class and study and you're done. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's your whole life. No, I love that we're going to end on a healthy note. That was... <laughs> That's exactly that's exactly something that people forget is is how much sort of undertaking this whole process impacts the other people around you. And it's always important to think about the people around you and those that you impact, right? So yeah, I feel like that's a great note to end on. 
And that wraps up another great conversation here at the Law School Lounge. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you check out these wonderful ladies and their book, Digitally Remastered, Modern Law School. You can find it on the Carolina Academic Press website at www.cap-press.com. And a big thank you to these three for making the time to come and speak with me because I think what they had to share will really resonate with a lot of students, whether they're currently in the throes of law school or they're just prospective law students who are trying to figure out what will work best for them. If you don't already follow us on social media, please go ahead and find us on X or Twitter or on Instagram at Law School Lounge. And if you have any recommendations or requests for upcoming episodes, you can reach me directly at lawschoolloungepod at caplaw.com for listening. And thank you again to our special guests who I still cannot believe wrote an entire book during law school. I need to keep that in mind as I continue to be as productive as possible in my regular life. We'll catch you next time. Thanks again. Bye.